Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. Today, we have a very, very special episode for you to kick off the brand new year, 2020. We normally have some type of guest on from either a nonprofit or someone, you know, that's notable in the philanthropic space to help us just start to think differently about uh, not just fundraising, but generosity as a whole. How can we, as an industry and as people, you know, working in the nonprofit space, uh, you know, start to increase generosity as a whole. And, and ultimately, ultimately, our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. Uh, but today we're taking a bit of a different angle. Uh, if you've been listening for a bit, you know that uh, Breeden and I both work for Next After, and that we're always conducting new research in the nonprofit space to either find new ideas to test or actually testing those ideas out, experimenting with new tactics to see what really works you know, to increase giving online. Uh, and today, Brady and I are going to share with you some of the most interesting learnings that have come out of the Next After Research Lab over the course of 2019, over this past year. Uh, so we're going to share some experiments. We're going to share some uh, just interesting learnings with you and just kind of recap, you know, here's the biggest things from 2019. Brady, anything you'd add? Yeah, well, Happy New Year, uh, everyone, happy for New listening, year. and Happy New Year to you, Nathan. Thank um, you. Although we've talked before this, but, um, <laughs> you know, maybe taking like a half step back. I know we're going to talk very specific about, uh, very specifically about experiments and some of what we've learned that directly apply to fundraising. And that's one of the types of research that we do, right, is running experiments and analyzing them, which is neat. But we also do other types of research, right, where we become a donor, we sign up for emails. Um, and then we take those learnings and then we go and do like speaking and training and online courses and things like that. And when I was thinking about 2019 and a little bit um, prepping for this podcast, but also, you know, hopefully I'll write a blog post too about some of the most important things I've learned. Uh, a couple things that I wanted to highlight, like one thing that stood out to me is just like how freaking expansive the world of fundraising and philanthropy mm. actually is, you know, like we deal with just like a sliver within a sliver, you right. know? And so like you and I, we had the chance to go to Spain and do a, a workshop. Uh, Tim and I went to Mexico. We do these trainings in Canada and the U S Tim was in Australia. And I think particularly getting outside of North America, you realize like, Oh my gosh, like there is so much to giving in philanthropy. Right. And, and so much that we don't know. Right. And I think that's kind of both intimidating, but also exciting. And it's just how much more we need to do more research and discovery around uh, fundraising, online fundraising, giving, because there's still so much that we really don't know. And that always just stands out to me, particularly when we go international. It's just like there's things that work in different countries that don't work here right. or, you know, air quotes don't work here, but maybe they do. That was one of the, <laughs> right. the, the things that definitely stood out. Um, and then particularly doing the two main studies we did, the one on donation pages and then one looking at like email cultivation. Mm -hmm. um, we learn this every time we do these studies, but just a need to keep talking about the basics, right? So we'll talk about some Absolutely. experiments that are maybe a little bit more advanced, but the number of d 
uh, you know, websites that we can't even complete a donation on. It's about 20% every single time we go to do one right. of these studies. Right. Right. The number of organizations that don't send us any email communication in one, two, three months is 10 to 20%. You know, there's broken forms. And so, like, there's all this talk about, like, AI and new tools <laughs> and all this stuff. And that it's What is cool. AI, Brady? <laughs> we talk about AI on this podcast. I do think it's actually interesting and, like, you know, multi-channel, like there is really interesting stuff, but there's also like we can't get away from the fact of where we are and there's still so much that we need to do and just like the basics of processing gifts and having customer service, you know? 100%. Um, th- that also just continues to stand out and it's one of the things that we always struggle with, right? Because we want to be forward-thinking and forward-looking and talking about what's next and what's cool and then we go and make these donations and have like 12 steps or can't complete and it's like wow we got to make sure that we're carrying both of these things so those are a few things that kind of stood out to me before we really you know dive into these experiments yeah well it's interesting and i mean it's just funny because we're in the same boat and i feel like we have to kind of walk both lines too i mean even for you know our just company as a whole i mean we're kind of a small crew and you know sometimes you know, we're doing some really cool things with some testing with some organizations that we work with or have done some training with. And then, you know, on, on our own website, there's there's, there's <laughs> yeah, big totally. gaping holes of things that, like, you know, we either can't see, haven't seen yet, or, you know, maybe are just kicking down the road because of resources and capacity and all that stuff that ultimately are kind of like basic things. So yeah. everybody's, I feel like, kind of walking, you know, both lines a little bit, trying to be innovative, push the envelope, but also... There's real uh, difficulties and struggles with just capacity and resourcing to do some easy things. So, yeah, yeah and that's complicated. The the secret sauce to fundraising, and I think it's a bit of a secret sauce to what we do as a company and as people, is empathy. You know, mm. and the fact that we've worked for nonprofits and been in those seats, we know how how difficult it is. So great, someone's telling you that, hey, have you thought about like removing this one form field to be unrequired, and you'll increase your conversion? Like, yeah, that's cool, but like. I also have 180 other things that I have to do and I don't have a developer, right? Like we understand that and we understand it because we don't even get to the stuff that we should be doing on our own site, right? We're like a team of two basically trying to do all this stuff. So (laughs) empathy is just such a key thing and that's why we do those studies to say, you know, what's really going on in the market and I think that's what a lot of companies that um, do consulting or advice, I think it's one of the things they often miss is really having a true sense of empathy for the donor and the nonprofit. But For sure, um, for sure. Anyways, we could go on and on about that kind of stuff. Let's get into some experiments. Definitely. Well, um, there's a bunch we can talk about. Um, one of the biggest things that we talked about this year kind of as a whole and one of the big pieces of research that we, we kicked off was really around cultivation. We haven't had a lot of research around cultivation. We've really, you know, kind of started a lot of the testing that we're doing focused on, you know, how do we improve donation pages? How do we then improve emails? How do we acquire donors? Um, But starting this past year, a lot more intentionally to look at sort of the full life cycle of a donor and what can you do in that to cultivate a stronger donor? So Brady, do you want to share just maybe some things that we've learned about cultivation and any experiments? Yeah, definitely. And again, that was one of the coolest things about last year was taking this approach instead of just like, how do we get, but kind of how do we keep and how do we keep engaged? Because I think that's obviously hugely, hugely important. Now, it is a tough area to do research. It's a lot easier to run acquisition tests and campaigns. Oh, yeah. You know, trying to figure out what works and particularly once you get into like longitudinal testing and tracking, it definitely gets a lot more complicated. But one of the coolest experiments of last year was really taking a look at uh, how can we increase giving by not sending more asks? Basically, mm-hmm. how do we send more cultivation and what's the impact downstream and over time 
to someone's engagement and giving. And so in this experiment, the organization just sent one additional email a week solely focused on cultivation. It was basically from like the community manager, like the digital engagement type person. And it just pointed them to a blog post pretty much that they'd already written. And it was really simple, easy uh, email, pretty short. Hey, you know, my name's Sarah. Here's a resource I think you might be interested in. Link to blog post. That's it. So they sent that one additional email a week and tracked then uh, people who got that email versus people who didn't over three months and then uh, eventually over six months. And what they found is there's a few things that are really interesting. But one, the main thing that they were trying to look at was will this increase revenue? And the answer is yes. People who received that cultivation gave 41% more over that six-month time period. So the fact that that you could just boost giving over 40% (laughs) just by adding another email uh, to the cultivation or uh, cultivation email to your mix is like kind of mind blowing. You know, like we we spend all this time trying to figure out uh, donation page optimization and tweaking the message and that stuff's important. But also one of the big takeaways from that study and especially as we look at 2020 is – what can you do just in terms of like volume of cultivation and focus only on cultivation, right? Yeah. Because so much of the cultivation stuff that we got, it's it's not clear. Are you trying to just engage? Are you providing a resource? We, people often send one email a month and it's just jammed full of, you know, here's an update from the field. Here's our past annual report. Here's a story. And, oh, if you want to give, go here. And the, the recipient's kind of like, well – I'm kind of being cultivated, but I'm kind of being asked and there's a lot going on, right? So just focus cultivation, I think, is one of the things that organizations should be focusing on. Um, Because in addition to the increase in revenue, they saw an 80% increase in engagement. So an 80% increase in people who opened or clicked an email in the three-month time period. Yeah. Um, And then donors, uh, lapsed donors and non-donors all increased their donation rate and it increased revenue for – current donors and lapsed donors as well. But even non-donors, those who did give, gave about 50% more. So, you know, across segments over six months, just by adding this one additional email that really any organization can add one email that's focused on cultivation to see that type of result, I thought was just, you know, super interesting and and very, very kind of like astounding almost. And it's not a if I remember right, it's not a super complicated email. It's not like some big flashy overly no, designed type of deal. It's going to take a couple developers and whatever. It's just copy. That's it. <laughs> and and it's not from it's not from the CEO. Like you don't have to get that cut. Like if you're the communications person, you're listening to this. Just write one email every week, or if you don't do that much volume, every month or every two weeks. Yeah. Just like written personally to a donor, pointing them to a resource. And if you don't have a resource, point to someone else's resource about something that they care about, right? So yeah. if you do clean water, point to someone else's post in the news or resource on clean water. That's what your donors care about. The idea is if you have too long in between communication touch points, you lose engagement. And then when you go to ask, they're not reading anymore. They may not even be getting the email anymore, right? right. So this idea of sending more focused content, particularly non-ask content, is just really important for making sure email fundraising works. And uh, I know we haven't done a full analysis on year-end success, but um, two people that I talked to were already saying like, hey, did you see kind of a decrease in email revenue or, or overall revenue this year? Because we saw that. And the early glimpses from our clients, at least, is we, we haven't seen that. We've, saw, no. we've seen actually a large increase in email revenue and overall revenue. And not that this strategy is done by all clients, but this idea of um, 
email fundraising is a every single day <laughs> kind yeah. of thing that you're thinking about. It's not, hey, let's flip on the switch and fire a few appeals out. Right. It's, you have to have a quality email list that's engaged. They need to be active. Otherwise, you will raise less money. It's just going to happen. So I think the more that we learn about things like deliverability, engagement, and that kind of stuff, the more that um, the content and communications calendar makes a huge, huge deal for yeah. your ability to raise money online. Well, I've I've probably been around Jeff Giddens, who runs our, our client services team for, I think this is the fourth year end uh, that I've known Jeff and been around him. And every year I hear him say something to the same effect of like, year end is like increasingly so is like your success at year end is a product of what you have done all year. So if you haven't done anything all year besides just ask for money once a month with your monthly email appeal or whatever it is, like, sure, you're probably going to see lower rates this year end than you did last year because what did you do to actually foster that relationship and cultivate that if you didn't do anything then all you can expect is worse results but if you've been working all year just like any personal relationship that's what's always helpful for me to think about is totally email is just a conduit to have a personal relationship with with someone and it's at scale maybe it's ten thousand people maybe it's fifty thousand a hundred thousand but you're finding ways to have real relationships and at the end of the year you more or less have built up a certain amount of relational capital that you can uh, then see results from. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the trend that we often see of healthy fundraising programs is um, particular days like December 31st or Giving Tuesday or time periods like December. The more that you have a, a stronger, healthier email program and engaged base, those those numbers actually flatten out a little bit. You actually see lower spike. You get more revenue for sure mm. over years, but it's not like, oh man, I hope Giving Tuesday or December 31st <laughs> coming. Otherwise, we're toast. Yeah. Right? If you're doing more continuous engagement, people will be more naturally inclined to give and they'll give more often, more times, and you'll actually see a, a healthier flattening of these yeah. kind of big spikes too. So again, I think that's that's one of the things that I'm sure we'll continue to do more of um, you know, in our training is really hammering that home of like, yeah, here's how you send a great fundraising appeal. But man, if you're not sending these cultivation emails in between, like who cares how great your appeal is, right? Right, right. No one to answer that question. No one. <laughs> no. One. <laughs> uh, well, we already we're already touching on year end a little bit. Uh, so, do you want to jump there? Because we saw some pretty interesting experiments uh, related to year end this year. Yeah, and uh, again, we're, we need to go through these. A lot of these are just recently published to the library. Mm-hmm. But um, one that uh, I know I was really excited that we were doing was basically like a homepage takeover uh, on the last two days of the year, right? So this. It's one of the very few times of the year, maybe the only time where a good chunk, if not the majority of website visitors are, if not directly looking to make a gift, a lot more open to making a gift. Yeah. So the the idea, and it's such a simple, basic idea of like, instead of make, making people land on the homepage, find the donate button, click donate, find that page, what if we basically just made our homepage the year-end giving page, just take out a step. If they don't want to be there, they can click back or go home or they can find another way. But it's quicker for people who want to find it and maybe we'll get a few people who were kind of on the fence and they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? Actually, this does sound great. I will make a gift. Yeah. And uh, so we did that with one uh, organization and uh, they saw – let me just pull up the actual numbers here. Um, They saw a – was a 100% increase in, in revenue? 100% 100% increase in revenue. That's huge. Um, wow. Sorry, it's not 100% increase in revenue. I'm getting my experiments mixed up. Uh, they saw a 25% increase in conversion rate. Uh, 
Um, gotcha. So there we go. They saw a 25% increase in conversion rate. It was 23% on desktop, uh, which is directional, 18% on mobile. So like kind of across devices, this worked. But, you know, a 25% increase in conversion rate. And it was a pretty large organization with sizable amount of traffic. Yeah, um, that's huge. It is pretty interesting, right? And again, it's it's a fairly simple thing. You just kind of redirect your homepage to go to this donation landing page. And then, of course, you have to have a good donation page with value proposition and some copy and things like right. that, which they did. But a 25% increase on the homepage takeover, I think, is really interesting. And maybe something that will start to suggest more proactively next year for year-end to people sure. saying, you know, now, now that we have some evidence that this worked. And it's a really simple setup. Like, in many cases, you probably don't even need a developer to help you do that, um, depending on what, like, how you know, big your site is or what you're running on. If you're using WordPress, set up a little plugin to just redirect your page, add a little back button to your, your real homepage and you're good to go. Like, yeah, it's, it's really simple. And yeah, <laughs> obviously worth that, you know, maybe hour of time investment for a 25% increase in donations. Yeah. And again, the part of the reason why we publish these experiments is if, you know, you're listening and you're like, oh, our bosses would never go for that. Like one, use this example, say like mm-hmm. they did it and they saw a 25% increase in conversion and then test it for yourself. It's a pretty easy test to do as well, right? Half yeah. the traffic goes here and half the traffic just gets the normal homepage and right. trying to see what their uh, what their conversion rate is. So where I got messed up with 100% was this other experiment that we wanted to talk about. This one had a oh, 102% okay. increase in conversion. And it was a uh, premium. So a premium is like, in this case, it was a DVD, but a premium can be like a gift or a piece of swag or something like that. That's tied to the donation. So this organization um, had this DVD, cost about two bucks to make this DVD. And they said, um, we normally offer it for people who give 150 bucks. So kind of like the, hey, if you give 150, we'll give you this DVD. And the experiment said, well, what if we just gave you the DVD, even if you just gave 50 bucks? It's kind of like lower the threshold to get that yeah. premium. And we won't dive into like premiums and premiums versus non-premiums <laughs> and all that stuff because I think what's really interesting is this is premium versus premium, just at what level do you get it. Yeah. And by lowering the threshold, they saw a 102% increase in conversion rate in terms of people giving. But they also actually saw a higher average gift when they lowered the threshold, <laughs> right? So That's I think super interesting. Yeah. So it ended up being 182% more revenue by lowering the threshold to get this gift. So. <laughs> I think what's really interesting, and this is what we've learned a little bit around premiums, is that a few things. Like one, um, people do come online to get, not necessarily to give. Yeah. So even if they're giving, um, you always have to be thinking about what can you give the donor? And that might just be like a crystal clear understanding of what their donation does, something more like tangibility, right? Uh, Heighten the sense of emotional reward so they feel really good. Or Mm -hmm. it could actually be, here's a companion resource, uh, an ebook, a DVD. It could be that, again. Right. um, That underlying principle of people come online to get, not necessarily to give, is we see that all the time. But the the idea of like, um, you know, for only $50 more, you can get this. We've seen that backfire, right, where it comes yep. across too, too salesy. And a, a DVD isn't like a strong enough incentive for me to give like $100 more, you know, if I'm only planning on giving 50 Right. And so I think what's interesting here is the principle of like offer people a value, make it a lot more accessible than you think, and they will be more generous than you could possibly even imagine, yeah. right, of just saying we're going to give this to you even if you just give 50 bucks. 
way more people gave and they gave more on average, um, right? Because the theory around gift arrays or one of the theories is you, you kind of want people to do small head nods. Yes, yes, yes. And if all of a sudden you have like a really high default amount or you have this kind of threshold that seals, seems too salesy, you'll get that no. And if you lower those amounts and you lower those thresholds, often you'll you'll not only get a higher conversion rate, but in, like we've seen in this case, you'll even get more on average, which I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, it's super fascinating. And that whole world of like the combination of, you know, gift arrays and amounts and order of how you how you order your gift array in combination with premiums, like it gets, it gets so messy and oh, so yeah. walking really fast. Uh, I like that this is just like super clear cut. If you're using a premium, test this out. Lower the threshold and see what happens. So yeah, and we have fantastic. a few other experiments around like uh, lowest lowest gift and pre-selecting a middle gift. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, because it is super complicated, but yeah. if you're interested in finding out what some other organizations are testing or trying, you know, check those out in the library. So those were a couple more around year end. I know uh, you want to talk a little bit about newsletters. Yeah, um, this has been kind of an interesting area because. I'll at least speak to my own experience just from this past year, uh, getting to do a lot more training and teaching and that sort of thing. I mean, we have such a wealth of learnings in our library about email fundraising appeals. So emails that you're sending to actually hope to get a donation back in return uh, about what works and what doesn't work. And, and just generally speaking, we don't have to get into all the weeds, but generally speaking is again, you want to have a, a real human relationship via email. So you're sending from a real person, uh, you know, using subject lines. There's a lot of different ways you can write a subject line to try to get an open, but we've tested a bunch of subject line ideas, uh, just, you know, the right tone to use, the right messaging ideas, how to present your call to action. Should you use big buttons or should you use like a raw URL, images, design, etc. Like we've tested a million different things in that arena. Uh, and every time we go to, you know, teach about that, whether it's on a webinar or a workshop or something, there's always questions of like, okay, well, should I just do this for my newsletters or how does this compare to newsletters or cultivation emails? And we kind of are like, uh, yes, no, I don't know. Maybe you should test it. Uh, so we don't really know. Uh, but this year we've actually run a few experiments related to newsletters, cultivation emails to, to start to try to get a better picture of does this really super hyperhuman approach actually work for something like a digest email or a newsletter or something like that. Uh, and I would say, just overall, the jury's kind of still out on what you know. What's the ultimate silver bullet strategy? Um, I don't know if there really is one. It's a bit complicated. Uh, but two experiments I want to just talk about really quick uh, that are starting to sort of help shape um, you know some thinking about this. One uh, was with a higher ed organization, and a really simple experiment. So they were sending this digest email. Uh, just had a little blurb. Uh, basically saying, hey, I just posted these resources. I want to make sure that you didn't miss them. Here they are. And then below, it used a pretty heavily designed format with these three different blocks. And each block had an image. It had the title of the resource. It had a little descriptive blurb about what the resource was. And then it had a big HTML button uh, where you can click to go either read the blog or listen to the podcast. And I think the other one was a, a lecture type of video that you could go watch. So three different types of content to go interact with. That was version A, using the more uh, designed template. And then version B, same exact resources, basically same exact copy. It had the same little blurb at the top just saying, hey there, I uh, wanted to make sure you didn't miss these resources that I just posted. And then it just bulleted out 
resource one, resource two, resource three. Had the title and just had it linked up as text. No real design. It just looked like an email that you would send to your mom or to your friend or whoever. And that was it. And the difference was stripping out all the design, just making it super simple with these text links. Saw a 77% increase in clicks uh, to those various resources, which uh, can then translate into, obviously, I mean, we just talked about this cultivation experiment. So if you're getting more people to engage with you on a deeper level, that can then have the potential to turn around to equal more revenue down, down the line. And at least, at minimum, you have a stronger relationship with the people that you're, you're emailing back and forth with. So that's really cool. And just surface level, you would take that experiment and say, wow, we need to strip out all design in all newsletters forever and just use these text links and done deal. Uh, but we also tested this really in our, our own marketing too, because we had the <laughs> the problem of we have a lot of content, we want to share everything with everyone, but how do we do this in an effective way? Uh, so we were sending these digest emails, and uh, we kind of went the opposite route, where we used this very personal long-form email, was very text-heavy, text-driven, used these text links. We said, well, maybe it would be better if we actually used some design elements to you know, improve the flow of the email, to show showcase the resources more effectively, give people a little bit more context uh, that make it clearer like where to go to actually engage with this resource. And so that was the that was the the treatment was a little bit more design. So we had these a few different sections. There's one on you know some blogs to read, some podcasts to listen to, uh, and then some training that you could sign up for, and then a free course offer uh, that we had as well. And so we just kind of divided those using some basic uh, horizontal rules, horizontal lines in the email. We had an image for each section, and then we had a button in each section too to go, you know, view more uh, about the blog, the featured blog, or the featured podcast, or whatever it was. So we basically went the other direction, added design elements, and saw a thirty-two percent increase in clicks. Now it didn't go so heavily into a fully like really heavy HTML designed email. Uh, but it did add some design elements to try to help, you know, just showcase what these resources are, especially if somebody's skimming, and that led to an increase in clicks. So what we're, it seems to be that we're finding is somewhere in the middle there is probably the right solution. Uh, you don't necessarily want these big, heavy designed emails, uh, but maybe it's not always the most effective to get clicks by just having long-form, hyper-personal, text-only emails. So it's kind of a mixed bag and something will f- for sure be, uh, testing a lot more. You know what's really interesting about uh, those two experiments in particular is one, the end winning treatment, both for us and for them, are actually not that that different, right? Like even their simplified version yeah. ended up looking like our more designed version, um, where there probably is this kind of happy medium that's a little bit more universal that has a little design elements to help with scanning, but it's not so crazy designed so it impacts you know, too much or your deliverability or something. But what else is also interesting is both of us, uh, both these experiments, the winning one uh, changed from whatever they were doing, right? So it was heavily designed to simple or Mm -hmm. simple to more designed. And in each case, the change helped increase. And we've seen this with like changing senders sometimes with uh, emails. There's an element of just, you, you can get a bump sometimes, especially in the short term, but just doing something different because people get so conditioned and used to your emails that look the same, feel the same, and they kind of tune them right. out. So even by changing something, sender or wildly different subject line, or in this case, design, it actually stands out and can lead to kind of re-engagement or more engagement. 
And so I think there's something in there too of just like, just because something's been working for a few months doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop experimenting and actually you should maybe try something else to keep it fresh. And one of the things that we should try, and I've told other nonprofits to try this, but we should eat our own crow, but just could we look (laughs) at a subset of who, who loves our emails as they are and let's just send them the way that they are. They're super engaged, but everyone listening just like us has a huge chunk of people that are disengaged and whatever we're doing isn't working. So let's send a crazy design version or whatever the different treatment is specifically to those people to see if, you know, they'll start responding. And then what you might end up happening is like, we got our plain text folks. We got our design folks, you know, we got our, (laughs) just give me three things folks. And maybe you actually have, you could test your way into that type of subset, but even just that, who likes it? Who doesn't? What can we do for people who aren't engaged, you know, and try something? So there's a bunch yeah. of interesting things in there for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting idea too. And, you know, we, we tried this in uh, a different type of email too with a, a webinar invitation email. And again, it wasn't like a hyper design type of thing. We just kind of at the bottom, none of the copy changed, but at the bottom we inserted just a little image that represented what the webinar is about. Uh, just use a little bit more layout techniques just with the text uh, to show the title, the date, and a link to sign up. And that's leading to more click-throughs and, and registrations as well. Um, yeah, so maybe even just using design as just almost like little highlighting features as opposed to, it's got to be like a, a big piece of art that takes totally, weeks yeah. to code. Uh, that's probably not yeah. what you want. But anyway, uh, if you're listening, any of that stuff is interesting, happy to share more experiments with you that uh, that we have kind of in our library around that. And interested to see, you know, if you've tested anything related to newsletters, uh, cultivation, especially on the design front, uh, be f- really interested to uh, hear what you're learning. And we'll certainly, yeah, and like anecdotally, too. when we do these workshops and stuff like that, I've had uh, maybe a half a dozen people come up and say they've actually taken this this type of approach to their newsletters and digest and have seen more engagement. Hmm. But again, most people are coming from a heavy design and they're going to more simplified and and are seeing yeah. results and that i mean we know because we get everyone's emails i don't know what the percentage is probably 90 percent of newsletters that that we get are are more of the heavily designed so again it's a way it's a way to Absolutely. stand out from other organizations doing the same type of stuff so in general i'd say that's definitely worth a try even for your newsletters right totally we don't have to go down this road in the whole conversation here, but uh, even just the concept of like inboxing and can yeah, you get better inboxing sure. by having uh, a a smaller footprint email in terms of the the size of the yep. HTML code. So that's a whole that's a whole other conversation, but something interesting yeah, yeah. to think about. Well, Brady, uh, there's a couple other things we want to get to. Also, uh, do you want to talk about the tab donation oh, page? Boy, do I! Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, last year, 2018, sorry, we spent a lot of time talking about recurring giving. We did a research study with Salesforce and then ran a bunch of experiments to try to figure out how could we um, turn more website visitors and possible donors into recurring donors because there's so much more valuable uh, over time and even just within three months. Um, yeah. And one of the interesting things was we saw about 10% or so of organizations would default you to a recurring gift. So, you know, when you click donate, it's like pre-selected to give a monthly gift. Um, we thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. And we had, I think we had two experiments, but neither of the experiments were pure default experiments. There was a few things going on. Yeah. So uh, uh, where it found that the default didn't work. And so uh, we were kind of skeptical about that, right? Of kind of defaulting. And even in our donation page course, when we talk about it, we just, we don't necessarily say, don't do it. Just say, be careful. 
um, because yeah. you could, you're definitely going to lose donors. The question is, is it worth losing those donors to get recurring donors? But in the study, right. there was a, a few like really large organizations that do really good fundraising, scored really high. We know they test and they were defaulting to monthly. And other people like Harvey McKinnon or resources on recurring from like Blackbaud, they were suggesting this as a, as a tactic is to default because they've seen it uh, be successful. So um, this past year, uh, a few different clients and organizations ran an experiment defaulting to recurring, but it was in this tabbed approach. So it's hard to explain, but basically, you know, most donation pages default you to one time and then you have a radio button or something that says make this monthly. The tabbed approach basically has like single gift on one tab and then you don't have to leave the page or anything. You just click monthly gift on on another tab and then you can make your monthly gift. And we've seen by actually just having that two tabbed approach in this one experiment, at least having just the option of a monthly tab increased recurring giving 62%. And if you defaulted to monthly, it actually increased recurring gift 92% with no significant increase or decrease, sorry, for a one-time donor conversion rate. So there's a few things here again. I mean, one, um, I think sometimes it's the decision-making process. So sometimes people say, I'm doing a single gift. Here's my amount. And then you have the option to make it recurring, but you've already decided to make a single gift and chosen your amount. Whereas this tab approach, you kind of choose, do you want to give monthly or one-time first? And then within that context, you can choose how much you want to give. So there's something in the sequencing yeah. of decisions. Two, they let you know that monthly giving is an option before you get too far down. So you can see them. They're kind of equally rated, rated like single gift and monthly gift. That's something. And then uh, a key variable in here, and this is really hard to isolate from any experimentation, is just like the macro trend, right? And what we know is recurring giving has been growing uh, like 40%, 16%, 70% right. kind of the last three, four years. And on the for-profit side, recurring subscription purchasing is going like gangbusters, right? 100% increase year over year, every year for the past five years, according to McKinsey. So the kind of like winds are blowing in your favor for recurring giving. And so this default approach, which maybe three, four years ago wouldn't really work because there weren't as many people really looking to set up a recurring gift is now working a lot better because the uh, innate motivation or the acceptance of, well, yeah, I buy Netflix and Disney plus and all the streaming services that we have, like that's all recurring. (laughs) So why wouldn't my giving be recurring? So it makes a default strategy to recurring make a lot more sense today, even than it did three, five years ago. So there's a bunch of things in there, but I think the tabbed approach, it's also um, a little bit more subtle, a little bit more passive. We've seen sometimes we're like pre-checking boxes even is a bit more aggressive so that the tabbed approach, I think softens that a bit where it's almost like a, a suggestion as opposed to like a mandate, you know, like maybe you should give monthly instead yeah. of you. You haven't made the choice right. on their behalf. You're still exactly. giving And that's the, the thing tr- we've the seen with like a decision. reverse gift array sometimes or defaults is if it's too heavy handed, people can kind of smell that or it's inauthentic. Whereas uh, we've seen this tabbed approach, not just this one experiment, but multiple experiments over the year, actually with different organizations, this has worked. Um, yeah. So that's again, uh, consider defaulting to recurring this year experiment with that. And if you do, if you have the option to do this kind of tabbed approach, that's what we would actually suggest you, you actually do. Cause uh, we've seen it work again, a uh, number, number of times across organizations. So it was an interesting one too. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, really cool experiment. It wasn't like an intentional effort where we're like, we're going to spend all this time focusing on tab <laughs> donation pages. It's kind of a test we tried out and was like, Whoa, this could be something. So yeah, it's pretty fun. All right. So let's, uh, we've spent a lot of time, but you got one more that you want to talk about. 
One more. Let's do Here it. Here we go. I have it titled, Careful, Your Experiment Might Have a Hidden Result. Teaser. Teaser. You ready? <laughs> uh, all right. So there's two experiments I want to look at for this for this section here that I think are are interesting and you know again you know I think getting out talking to more people uh, just being exposed to different you know fundraising methods and people that think differently this is really you know something we probably should have been thinking about and focusing on earlier but just the difference between desktop mm-hmm. and mobile that question comes up a ton especially uh, as we you know suggest different ideas for you know your landing page design and landing page templates like well what about mobile how does this work for mobile well as we've started to divide out desktop versus mobile performance, we're actually seeing some really interesting results. Um, and some some results that would have normally gone missed uh, if we weren't intentionally doing this. So two experiments. Number one uh, is this experiment with a sticky bar on a donation page. And basically what the sticky bar is doing is it's just reinforcing the value proposition that's below. Uh, so it's an organization called Caring Bridge. If you're not familiar with them, uh, they create these different websites, uh, or they allow you to create a website, you know, for a family member or a friend who's going through some type of health crisis or health trauma. So uh, loved ones can stay in touch and be informed about what's going on. They're a nonprofit. Uh, on their donation page, they basically put this sticky bar that says, you can power this person's website with your gift. And so it's just a little prompting and a little reminder uh, of the impact of your donation. Now, they ran this experiment, and uh, they ran it for a little more more than a month. And while it was happening, uh, there are a couple different things going on. The team was actually about to shut it off because they didn't really see an increase overall. Like, well, okay, it was a good idea, but it bomb. We're going to turn it off. Uh, but before they did that, they actually did take a look at mobile versus desktop. And what they saw was that mobile response was just starting to inch towards uh, some level of validity and actually seeing an increase. So they let it run for another 10 days, and sure enough, by the end of the 10 days, they actually saw that while this sticky bar idea didn't really impact desktop at all, it actually saw a significant increase uh, on a mobile device to the tune of a 13% increase in donations. And then after they read it, let it run through validity, they actually did see a 5% decrease on desktop, 11% decrease on tablet. So some tactics are going to work on mobile mm-hmm. and not on other other types of devices, which is really interesting to keep in mind as we come up with these different strategies for even email, donation pages, landing pages, et cetera. You know, how does the, how does the actual device experience change how someone perceives the design of your page and the copy on your page? Because uh, a person on a small phone is going to have a totally different experience uh, than someone on your desktop just based on how content is arranged and how the iPath moves. So something really important to keep in mind. And again, if you're not splitting out that type of results between different device types, and even in some cases, different audience segments and how they're performing, you may look at your results and say, well, it didn't really make a difference, but it could be making a big decrease over here and a big increase over here, and and you need to dive a little bit deeper. So again, there could be some hidden results. The the other experiment, uh, same type of deal, but a different, different context. Uh, It again was a donation page experiment, but a totally different idea being tested. Uh, In this case, uh, the one donation page was just a simple, you know, value proposition, copy, donation form, etc. Version B, they added in these different step headlines. So they said step one, put in your information. Step two, select your gift type. Step three, etc., etc. So they're kind of guiding people through the page with these different steps, trying to clean up the experience and make it a little bit more simplified for the user. Now, similar result to the previous experiment, where when you rolled the results up together and looked at it holistically. Like, oh, this really didn't matter. It didn't make a significant change. 
you would probably throw throw it out and just default to you know what's normal because it didn't make sense to it didn't really matter which which option you chose. But when you split it out, it actually saw almost seven percent increase on desktop, but it wasn't a valid uh, lift. It wasn't statistically significant, but on mobile, it saw forty six percent increase in donations at a ninety eight percent level of confidence. So by cleaning up the experience, uh, by simplifying it, by stepping it out, it just made that mobile experience as you're scrolling that much more clearer, it seems, and simpler for you to know exactly what's coming next, how you should be interacting with the page, and led to a, a pretty significant increase in donations. So the larger point here is you shouldn't necessarily uh, you know, take your results at face value when you've just looked at the one top-line level metric. Uh, be sure to take those steps to start to look deeper at different audience segments and how they might be performing within your experimentation, uh, as well as different device types, uh, maybe even traffic sources too, because all those different things can change someone's experience and someone's perception of your page and the different things. Yeah, it's on. a really good point. And, and again, I think some people maybe are listening like, oh my gosh, now I have to look at you know device types and traffic <laughs> sources. And again, there's levels, right? Um, again, mm-hmm. uh, we, you have to hold this balance of you should be testing, no matter your size, you should be taking this culture of we don't know what works. Let's try different things. Let's be focused on data. That culture of testing is huge. And at first, especially if you're small, you probably don't even have enough traffic to validate whether it's a device or a demographic or a traffic source. So you probably need right. not just the level of sophistication to know how to get that and to track it, but also of certain volume too, right? So that's kind of like... Um, as you get into testing and you're getting more experience, that's that's a next level for people to look at. Um, and especially in the case of a sticky bar, I mean, some of it's just simple. It takes up a lot more room on your de- mobile device than it does on your desktop. So it's harder to ignore. Yeah. Like it could be such a simple thing. So then you go, well, maybe we should just make sticky bars bigger on desktop. So they're harder to ignore, right? So again, there's, there's, there's <laughs> maybe, these interesting maybe. things. And this is where like testing... Um, just leads to more questions because you always want to know like, well, why? Right. <laughs> why is that actually the case? <laughs> and then you start running more and more experiments. But particularly that we get a, that question a lot, right? Does, does this change based on mobile? And then kind of uh, related to that, often people talk about demographics. Is this an age kind of thing, right? But the, yeah. the device is definitely something that uh, we did a lot better job in 2019 of articulating that and we will in 2020. So we'll have a better sense of, you know, what works or what doesn't. Um, so yeah. that's that's what we wanted to cover, right? A few of our kind of most most favorite or interesting experiments and, and share a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly a lot more uh, that we could dive into. This is just kind of skimming the surface of some really uh, things that we found interesting over the course of this year. Obviously, we'll have a lot more to share with you uh, as time goes on and a lot more uh, in the hopper for uh, 2020. Any exciting things that you're looking forward to this year? Great Great. question. It's almost as if uh, you can see that listed in this Google Doc that we're looking at. Uh, Yes. Oh, I've actually had a different document than you are, so I didn't. Such a natural. No, there are some interesting things. So just kind of like a quick... Um, you know, glimpse at, at 2020, but one um, more on recurring and cultivation, this idea of how do we not just get, but how do we keep and keep over time? That's a big area for us to continue to do more research and experimentation. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that uh, and, and sharing more of that with y'all. Um, multi-channel, we hopefully will get uh, mm. a research engagement signed this week where um, we'll look at the onboarding process of online and offline. And then later in the year, we'll look at a a campaign environment and how are they using online and offline? Because we know that people, uh, when they're engaged, multi-channel give more, but I still think there's not a lot of evidence to say this is how you should do 
a multi-channel strategy beyond just like, make sure you send emails to direct mail donors. Okay. But how can we use these channels more strategically or when, and you know, at what point does the cost justify uh, or not? So that's going to be an interesting area and kind of unique to us. We haven't done a lot in the offline, you know, world. So I think people will see a little bit more from us in the offline and then I hope we can do a little bit more internationally. Uh, we're in conversations about looking in some cool. other countries and the giving experience and, you know, some of the relationships that we've built in Mexico and Europe and Australia. Hopefully we can uh, find ways to, you know, do some more experimentation or even just some more of those first person uh, research studies. So hopefully we can do that. We'll, we'll see. Um, but those are the things that I'd be excited for is how do we keep focused on how do we keep not just get um, what does multi-channel in 2020 actually look like and what should we be doing and how can we learn more from international markets? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and that, that again, that was one of my favorite things from 2019 also is just, you know, as we get to go out and experience uh, different ways of thinking about fundraising, uh, but marketing yep. as well, uh, just communication and in, in general with people and bringing those ideas even to you who's listening to this podcast, uh, just different ways of thinking uh, to maybe inspire a new idea, whether it's a new test idea or a new campaign idea or just inspiration to, you know, connect with people on a deeper level. I yeah, think yeah. that's really cool. Um, I'm particularly excited just to keep, uh, you know, growing what we're doing in the training space. Again, for similar reasons, because we just get to meet cool people uh, that are doing really interesting things across a, a bunch of different causes. Uh, I was just talking with someone earlier today about a webinar that we might um, host for their group, and they're kind of in the healthcare world. and And I haven't spent much time at all in the healthcare world. And um, you know, she was even <laughs> just making some commentary and jokes about things that I'm <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really understand that. I, like, Classic I, healthcare I joke. I'm learning a lot about the healthcare <laughs> industry in in, in this conversation. Um, no, but it's interesting. All the, all those things are just they they just pique your interest in a different way and can inspire some new ideas. So I'm excited to see training grow. Uh, and then we're also just trying to figure out how do we, how do we do a better job as we have all these different types of resources and things uh, of just communicating those in a better way, making them more accessible for uh, people to, to really find new data-driven ways to mm-hmm. improve fundraising, improve marketing, improve cultivation, communication, all those things. And ultimately uh, to try to try to grow generosity. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, we're just always testing some new things and got some some new things, uh, maybe some secret projects in, <laughs> uh, in the backlog right now. You'll see over time. It'll be a great year. Well, thanks, Nathan, for uh, for chatting with me and sharing some of your experiments. Yeah, thank you, Brady. Well, they're not really my experiments. They're ah. mostly other people's experiments. But uh, yeah, cool. Thanks so much, Brady. Uh, and then cheers to all of you to a, a great new year. Uh, best of luck in all your fundraising efforts. We are rooting for you all year long. Uh, best of luck in your testing, your fundraising. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. 
And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 